0: If you're visiting our church family uh, today, my name is Aaron. I'm the pastor here. We're really glad that you chose to be with us. Uh, When you came in, they gave you this worship guide. I just wanted to let you know this was actually written with you in mind. Hopefully, it'll answer any basic questions you have uh, about our church and today's experience. And then Let me point out one thing. As you can tell today, we are a praying church, and we believe that prayer works. And inside of every worship guide, there is a prayer card. And I want to encourage you, don't face the challenges of life on your own. Uh, We would love to pray with you. We would love to pray for you. This is something that we really take to heart. And so if there is anything at all uh, that, that we can come alongside and pray with you about, let us know. Fill out this card at the end of the service. You can give it to any of our leaders or drop it in any tithing offering box on site. We'll have a team of people praying for you. Well, today I'm very, very uh, just thrilled that, that you're with us particularly because we have a, uh, a guy that I have heard about for years, known of him for years, and over the last few years have gotten to know him. And all I can tell you is you hear about somebody and then sometimes when you get to know him, it's, it's like two different experiences. Well, getting to know him, it is so much better than even what you hear about him. He is uh, a father of the faith. He's a general of the faith. Uh, One of the things about our church is we don't need, you know, another good preacher on Sunday. We want great friendships and great relationships, and I want people that can really part into our church family, so let me just tell you a little bit about him before he comes, and you get a chance to meet him. He is a local kid he 's from Southern California, he grew up surfing all of these beaches uh, right out here, and about twenty seven years old, God called him to leave everything and become a missionary in Peru. Uh, went to Peru with his family in the middle of a civil war. Uh, The stuff that they went through, I mean, during that civil war is just absolutely crazy, but they had a call to do something significant for Christ. He now pastors one of the greatest churches in Latin America in Lima, Peru. He coaches, pastors, and churches all over South America. He was in Argentina last week coaching hundreds of pastors in Paraguay, Colombia, all over Latin America. God is using him as a father. He's been there for over 35 years. Their church has made just an incredible difference. They've raised over 600 orphans through their church there in Lima. Uh, They have bumper stickers all over the city of Lima that their church has created, and the bumper sticker says, Divorce is not the answer, it's the problem. Call us. And that—and God has used their church now to restore, think about this, 10,000 marriages in Lima, Peru that were heading to divorce. Their church, God has used them to restore. They've made a significant difference down there. And it's not every week that you have uh, somebody who actually has lived the book of Acts. You know, we read the stories in the book of Acts, the incredible things that the disciples have done, but very rarely do we get to meet people that that is their life. Like you could write a book about their life and, and put it in the Bible and that is the man that we have today, so it's very, you know, I'm, I'm just honored that he is with us today, because it's not every day you're going to meet a general of the faith, and really hear, and so it's not just going to be another message, this will be an impartation, and so I just pray with all of my heart that you would, you would open yourself up to truly hear and receive what God has for us today, because this is going to be a very special weekend for our church. I want you to welcome with me Pastor Robert Berger. Amen. Good morning.
1: Honor, honor to be here today. Um, Thankful for this church. Thankful for the developing friendship that we have, that your church has not only come alongside as a friend, but as somebody that helps us do what we do down there. Uh, Just wanted to say a couple things before I get into a short teaching. Um, First of all, on the Christmas boxes with Samaritan's Purse, I am on the other end of that. We have literally given away thousands of those boxes, and they are amazing. We get the fun part. I mean, we get to give those to those little kids and watch that child's face just come alive as he opens up and sees what's inside. So uh, sometimes you're packing them here and wonder what happens. Really, we're on the other end, and uh, they are amazing, an amazing gift to literally help a little poor child over christmas just beam with joy some of those kids that we have go to they never ever have received a christmas gift and to get a little box like that to them and and watch them uh great great uh opportunity so thank you for being a part of that i just happened to have seen that on the video and i thought wow we get to do the other side of that and uh it's really really cool um Also, just praying for you, Pastor, shared your story with me earlier this morning, and uh, it hurts. And I wonder, when people go through pain, like losing a child or what you're going through, um, how can you do it without Christ? Thank God we can run to the tower and find safety and comfort in him. And what you're doing this morning, first things first, running to the to church, running to God. That's where family comes around us. I don't know how people can do it. The world's a mess right now. And thank God for the family of God, the, the church. Amen. Uh, like your pastor said, we have had the opportunity to live in South America now for the past 35 years. Did grow up in this area, uh, early 70s, surfed all of these beaches before the houses were here. Um, and uh, just have great memories. It's, I was telling your pastor, it's been years because the small church that sent us to the mission field 35 years ago today no longer exists. And, uh, but and it's just been years since I've come back because the churches that have uh, kind of adopted us and taken us on to help us now are on the East Coast or Church of the Highlands and some other places. So I love coming back to my roots uh, to this area. I actually graduated Santa Monica High, but when became a Christian, moved here to San Diego and spent 10 years here going through Bible school and working in a local church down here. So uh, just love being back here and especially love the Mexican food in San Diego. <laughs> no place better. Amen. Um, before I get into a short teaching uh, from something that's on my heart, little bit about our ministry. It's hard to explain all that we do. I often call it church by accident. I never went down to South America to plant a church, uh, but as your pastor mentioned, we did arrive in Peru as civil war was increasing. We had a violent terrorist group called the Shining Path, and uh, during those years of terrorism, uh, just the violence and what was going on in that country, we um, began to realize, because I was part of the Jesus movement down here, that what they need over in South America, what they needed in Peru was another Jesus movement. So I started going to churches saying, let me help you. I got an idea how to reach youth in the church. And I just got tired of churches telling me, we don't do it that way. It won't work down here. So the Holy Spirit spoke to me one day in my heart and said, show them. And so we started a church by accident. And uh, we're actually surprised, uh, shocked that it has become what it has become. And it is a lot of fun. Uh, One of the things we do do, uh, and we do a lot of outreach ministry, I'll talk a little bit more about a couple of those areas a little bit later in the message, but one of the areas we do minister to is disabled people. The poorest of the poor in the world today are disabled people in third world countries. Uh, many of these disabled people they might earn ten dollars a month, so they could never dream of owning a wheelchair. They could never dream of it. A wheelchair can cost as much as five hundred dollars just for a standard chair, much more for specialized chairs. And and we we actually kind of bumped into this area of ministry. When Johnny Erickson Tata came to Peru and brought a container of wheelchairs with her. Uh, She spoke in our church this Sunday morning, and uh, it was an amazing thing to have her there. And I still remember saying, You look at this chair as a limitation. To me, it's freedom. It gives her the gift of mobility and to get around. But she, at the end of that, she said, because the chairs were stuck in customs, and she said, if you can get these chairs out of customs, can you then help us pass these chairs out? Well, there were 400 chairs in that shipping container, and I thought in my mind, how am I going to give away 400 wheelchairs? Where will I find 400 people that need a wheelchair? And she said, oh, you'll find them. That's just what she told me. Oh, you'll find them. They're here. And we thought, okay, we got the container out of customs. And I said, well, we can give a couple to some hospitals that, that are poor. And, but somebody in the church said, well, there's a shantytown nearby. And in shanty shantytown, they have a lot of disabled people. Maybe we can give some chairs away there. So we did what missionaries do. We went around in a car with a megaphone and announced Saturday morning, go to this certain park. We'll give away wheelchairs. We put up flyers around the city saying, if you need a wheelchair, come to this park on Saturday morning. And I had my faith up. We put 100 chairs in a truck and went down to that park with the people that knew how to assemble them and and adjust them to the people. And we figured we might give away maybe 30 or 40, but we brought 100 just in case. I was not prepared for what we saw when over 7,000 people came crawling in the dirt, being carried in wheelbarrows or on people's back. And you never know how hard it is to turn people away. You can cause a riot when you turn people away and you just say, I'm sorry, I didn't know. So we began a ministry, actually contacted a man, just a friend of ours, just a little uh, north of here in Newport Beach, who has a Ministry of giving out wheelchairs. So we contacted him and he, he had his very first container and didn't know where to send them. And I said, Send them to me. So we started a wheelchair ministry. Now, a picture is worth a thousand words, and one, uh, one picture can create a thousand words. So I have a video that I can show you of our wheelchair ministry. Let's show the video first. <laughs> So, to date, we have given away over 60,000 free wheelchairs in the country of Peru, and we found that when you take care of the people nobody wants, God gives you the people everybody wants. Amen. And uh, we love this ministry that we get to do because nobody seems to care about these people, but by going and pouring love on them, their family comes to us, the neighbors come to us, uh, and are just thankful. So, Um, And that is through a ministry called Free Wheelchair Mission up here in Newport Beach that helps us get those wheelchairs. So thankful for that. Uh, Short teaching in the book of Judges, Judges chapter 20. There's an interesting story here. A while back, I wrote a book called Honor Found. And in this book, Honor Found, it was because I'd been struggling because of some lack of honor I, I saw in a... And a friend of mine in a ministry that I felt deserved honor. And I started trying to read Christian books on honor, and a lot of them were kind of self-serving. You gotta honor the leadership. And I thought, no, there's more to honor than that. And I began to dig into the word honor. The word honor in Hebrew is kabad, which literally translates heavy. It's the same word that glory comes from, but Uh, The word, the Hebrew translation of honor is heavy, and I started wondering, why is honor heavy? What is the weight of honor? And you don't understand the weight of honor until you understand the opposite. The opposite of heavy is light, so if honor is putting weight on something, dishonor is taking it lightly, And there's a biblical principle, whatever you take lightly will eventually leave your life. Whatever carries weight in your life will be drawn or attracted to your life. So the question is, what do we honor? What is it that carries weight in our life? Winston Churchill said it this way. Winston Churchill said, a nation that fails to honor its heroes will soon have no heroes to honor. And I, as I thought about that statement that is not only true in 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 the nation but it's also true in church because a church that fails to honor its heroes will soon have no heroes to honor. Some people say, "Well, should we honor heroes in church?" A- absolutely. Absolutely. When I was in Bible college years ago here in San Diego, I began to read stories of a guy named George Mueller, uh stories of Uh, of just heroes in the faith. George Mueller in England, when England was going through poverty, how... He would uh, just gather kids off the street and, and began to feed them. And as I read stories about this man, such a man of faith, he said, I'll talk to God. He'll talk to the people. He didn't want to ask for support or, or help for the children. So he just said, God, I'll talk to you. You talk to the people. And he would tell of stories like he said there would be times there was no food in the pantry. And when there was no food in the pantry, he just prayed, God, we need a meal for the children today. And and he just said the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, well, seat the children like they were about to eat. And he sat the children. Now what do I do? Pray for the meal you're about to eat. So he prayed for the meal. There was no food at the table. And as he ended the prayer, there would be a knock on the door And he would open the door, and a sister in the neighborhood would say, God laid it on my heart to prepare a meal. I hope I'm on time. And that happened over and over again. Well, when I read that story, he was my hero. Okay? He became my hero. And I said, God, if you can do it for him, you can do it for us. And the amazing thing in 35 years, he has done it for us over and over again. Amen. He is faithful. So it's a good thing to have heroes that our kids can look up to saying, when I'm older, I want to be like that. When I get older, I want to do that. I want to do what that one is doing or be like that person. Well, in the study of honor, I found this little teaching that I, I did. and It wasn't in the book. I wish I would have put it in the book. Um, and I'll, I'll tell the story first. It's in the book of Judges, chapter 20 little history before I read it. It's one of the sad moments in Israel's history. This is a sad moment because it's a moment when Israel was in a civil war. There were 10 tribes that were warring against two tribes and the 10 tribes and the two tribes are fighting and during this civil war this is the battle that I'm about to talk about and I don't want to go into detail on the sad part of the history. There's just an interesting detail here in Judges chapter 20, verse 14, it said, Then the people of Benjamin came together out of the cities to Gebeah to go out to battle against the people of Israel. And the people of Benjamin mustered out of their cities on that day 26,000 men who drew the sword, besides the inhabitants of Gibeah, who mustered 700 chosen men. Among all these were 700 chosen men who were left-handed. one could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. And the men of Israel, apart from Benjamin, mustered 400,000 men who drew the sword. All these were men of war. Now, the interesting detail when we get into this is the Bible says when Benjamin called the men to fight, it said Benjamin was able to muster or gather together 26,000 men who drew a sword. That's key, who drew a sword. And then it talks about 700 chosen men. Now, these 700 chosen men would be like special ops, special forces. Okay, these were 700 chosen men. And it says two particular things about these 700 special ops or 700 chosen men. Number one, it said that they could all sling a stone at a hare and not miss. And you wonder, how do you know if you split a hair? I mean, you can't see it. And if you study, you know, some Bible history, you understand what they used to do in Israel is they would take a long hair from a woman and they would tie a rock on one end and tie the other end to a tree back up about 35 yards and they would sling the rock. And when the rock dropped, they knew they split the hair. So that's what they mean when they said they, were, you know, they could split a hair and not miss. It gives you a little idea of maybe how David practiced when he was uh, shepherding sheep up in the hills. But it says that there was two things about these men. Number one, they could all sling a stone and not miss. Number two, they were all left-handed. Now, it's a curious thing why the Bible would say these were all left-handed. Why is that something key? And And when I first saw that, I said, why... Are all these men left-handed? Why? And Well, you do what you do when you're studying the Bible. You go to the original language and look at commentaries. And and all the commentaries, all it said is they were left-handed. They were all left-handed. All 700 of these special ops soldiers, they were left-handed. And I kept wondering, what does that mean? Why are they all left-handed? And, and actually, I found the answer in one commentary. Do you want to know the answer? What does the literal translation of left-handed mean? You ready? Thank you. The literal translation is not right-handed. Isn't that good? But it goes on to say they were right-handed. In other words, all of these left-handed men, and you have to understand when you go back to early uh, battle tactics, they didn't have right-handed weapons and left-handed weapons. If you drew a sword, you always drew the sword with your right hand. And you always carried the shield in your left hand. And that was a tactical uh, reason because what they would do in early days, they would have what they call shield walls where you would lock shields with the man next to you and then advance at the enemy poking him with your sword as you're advancing. And it's interesting because your shield, and you understand the Bible says we all have a shield of faith, your shield never protected your own body. Your shield always protected the man next to you. And the man on this side of you would protect you. It's interesting because our shield of faith isn't to protect us. It's to protect our brother next to us. we That's why we need each other. When they would lock shields in this shield uh, wall that they would do, Roma, like the Roman army, they had this so tight the shield wall when they put those over their head they could drive a chariot and a horse across that shield wall Uh, it was just the strength it was an army tactic in those days so what they're saying is they would draw with their right hand and go with their left hand and the shield toward the enemy well when it says these were all left-handed men what it is saying is this these all of these men were wounded at one point Every one of these 700 men, they could no longer draw a sword. They, in other words, maybe one time they were in a battle and they lost a finger. They couldn't grab the sword or they lost part of their hand or they were wounded some way on their right hand. They could no longer carry a sword. So now they were literally handicapped. And being handicapped, they had an option. What do you do? Well, you can feel sorry for yourself and go home because you've been wounded in battle. We understand you can no longer carry a sword. You can no longer go in the shield wall with us, and you can no longer fight the enemy like we all do. You are now a handicapped person, so you have an option. You either go home Or you stay, but if you stay, you need to learn to fight a different way. You need to understand it. It takes time to relearn to fight a different way. It takes time, especially if you're right-handed. Now you've got to learn to use your left hand to sling a stone and sling it at a hair and not miss. That takes time to learn to use the other hand. And the thing is this, is why would these men stay? And why does the Bible say these were special ops or chosen men? Well, there's something that happens when you have been wounded in battle. It's something that the military today calls the eye of the tiger. Now, the eye of the tiger is not just a song that you sung in Rocky, Or I think more recently, I think uh, Katy Perry sings a song about that. But what does the eye of the tiger mean? The eye of the tiger, what it literally means, and there's a a few definitions. the, The literal translation of it is this. It's when in the fog of battle or the confusion of war, when things slow down and a slow motion in the middle of the confusion and you know what to do. Some other definitions of the eye of the tiger would be this. If you've been wounded in battle, it's almost—it's very difficult to be wounded again because those who have been wounded develop a sixth sense. They become very valuable because now that they have been wounded, they know how the enemy fights. They know his tactics. They know where he comes from. And now that they know how the enemy fights, you could, they use him as point men. They go ahead. When the rest of the army, the rest of the troops don't know, don't feel, don't see anything, they can sense something and they'll say, wait a minute, something's not right. Other guys will say, I don't see anything. I don't feel anything. And they'll say, no, I sense it. That's the I of the tiger and it's valuable because see what these men had 700 men had been in a battle they know how the enemy fights and now they have gone back to the battle and they become valuable to the other guys around them let me explain it this way because let me just go this way years ago years ago uh probably about seven or eight years ago, I was invited to go to the ex-Soviet Union to do a pastor's conference. I'd never been there. It's a little farther away from my turf. I feel the area of my calling is South America, but there were some guys that really wanted us to go and train some pastors in the ex-Soviet Union, and some of them were the Hillsong group of guys, and it was fun to go hang with them, so I just said, okay, we'll go, and My wife wanted to go with me, so we went and had an amazing time with a lot of pastors from the ex-Soviet Union. Absolutely loved the time there. Loved seeing what God was doing in that side of the world. But the airplane ride back from the Soviet Union to South America is an eternity. And a 17-inch seat. So, I mean, we did that long trip. And on the way back, my wife just said to me, She said, you know, when we get home, I think I need to go get a checkup at the doctor's. I didn't think much of it. Uh, She had just casually mentioned, I want to go get a checkup. And that was it. I just said, okay, great. So we got home on a Thursday And on Friday morning, my wife goes to the hospital, and because I'd been away for a while, I went back into the office and was doing work. My daughter went with my wife to the hospital. And as they were in the hospital, about early afternoon, I get a phone call from my daughter, and it was one of those things, I could hear it in her voice. She was, Dad, Dad, you need to come right now. And I'm going, what, what? No, just come to the hospital. And I went, the hospital was just a few blocks away from the office. And I went in there, saw my wife laying there with the, all the doctors and the nurses that were there uh, attending to her. And that day, I found out my wife had an aggressive late-stage cancer in her body. It was an aggressive. It was breast cancer over stage three. Stage four is, is fatal. So it was, it was already in her lymph nodes. It was already in her cervix. And, and when I heard this, to me, it was like a train wreck to me, it was, oh, wow, we've been married over 30 years. What am I going to do? God, we're serving you. We're your faithful servants. Why us? Why is she attacked this way? Why have you allowed this? And you go through all the questions. And I remember Saturday, just like here, we had a Saturday night service and my wife and I determined we want the church to pray with us. So as I walked in service a little bit late, my wife was leading worship, and she was singing so beautifully, and as I saw her picture up on the screen as she's leading worship, I just broke in the back of the church, and I said, God, is this the last time I get to see her like this? Is this the last time? And then the battle began. My wife, as I told the church, we need some prayer. We just found out she's got this cancer in her body. My wife grabbed the mic from me and she just said this, God did not send this. I have an enemy. God did not send this. I have an enemy. And my wife fought like a girl. I mean, she went through the chemo, went through the radiation, the surgeries, and all that you had to do. And years later, after about four, three or four years later, she was declared cancer-free. So, but if for those that know about chemo, it does secondary effects. She's been wounded. And now uh, we can be in a crowd. There can be thousands of women in a room, thousands of ladies. And all of a sudden, my wife will disappear. Like, where did she go? And, And I can't find her because in that room, she saw that one that was sitting off in the back with sunken eyes and the dew wrap around her head. And she recognized because she had also lost all her hair through the chemo. And she had recognized that lady that nobody else saw. You see, now that she has been wounded, she sees what others don't see. She saw how the enemy attacked her. She has the eye of the tiger. My daughter, years before that, went through an issue. This was a tough one. I mean, they're all tough. But when my daughter, when she was as young as 13, 14 years old, my little girl developed anorexia and bulimia. By the time she was 16, she was cutting and uh, had suicidal tendencies, and it was like, oh, God, what do I do? And, And I didn't know this, but as a dad, I just did what dads do. I would just look at her and say, girl, eat. She wanted to see her bones. And I would just say, eat. I didn't know if you tell a girl with bulimia or anorexia to eat, it ties her stomach in a knot, and she can't. And I would just... What am I going girl? Just do something. Eat. You're just wasting away. About that time, we had a, a pastors uh, with my board uh, that oversee our mission. We had a meeting. I was actually up here in the Coast and Saddleback Church. Uh, Rick Warren was doing some kind of a training, so we went to sit there. And I was meeting with my my board team. And I got a phone call while we were there, and it was one of these phone calls no dad ever wants to get. It was a phone call where one of our pastors in Peru said, your, your daughter is very sick. She's sick. I don't know if she's going to make it. So I just said, well, do whatever it takes. Get her on a flight, whatever it takes. Get her over here to San Diego. And I remember as, as that happened, I was sitting over at Saddleback, and, and, and the only places that we could find that would even deal with anorexia, there was place there in Arizona, it cost $2,000 a day, we're missionaries, we can't do that, and, and it was just, I don't know how to do this, how can we find help for my daughter, and we just kept looking and looking, there was, we couldn't find any place that would help her, and I saw at Saddleback, they had a small group, a little cell group of women that have overcome anorexia, and I I said, can you girls, can somebody here just help my daughter? And they said, we could try. Well, my daughter, when they got her to the airport that night, she was so sick. The airline refused to let her on the plane. They said, we'll only let her on the plane if we can have a doctor's certificate. So I called a doctor in our church, and I said, do whatever it takes. Just sign a certificate. Do a, just get her on that plane. Well, the doctor made a certificate. She got on the next night, but they almost landed the plane in Panama because they didn't think she would make it. But she made it, flew into San Diego, and then we went through a year of hell. Just my wife, because her mom lives here, she was living with her mom, taking care of our daughter, found a psychologist that was trying to help her. Just, it was a year, one year of hell. I was flying back and forth from Peru to attend to my daughter, and I remember looking at her one day, and I said, Girl, I'm gonna leave the ministry, whatever it takes. I just wanna be with you. We've gotta get through this. About that time, somebody said, Darlene Check in Sydney had a ministry to girls. And, and I'd only casually known Darlene, but we found some friends, called Darlene. I just said, can you help my daughter? And she said, absolutely. Can you get her over here? Convinced my daughter. We got her over to Sydney, Australia, got her into that home that Darlene was running. And after a year, my daughter was healed. Totally healed. God gave us our daughter back. But it was, it was a hard time, the, that year here and the years before that. And then the, the year that she was there going through the process of healing. And, and it, while she was there, in fact, somebody who comes here, John Burns, was one of the men that ministered to my daughter and was able to give her a father's hug and brought healing into her life. And, and when my daughter finally came back to Peru, now, how many know Christians sometimes can be mean? Sometimes. Okay, and it was interesting because while my daughter's away, some of the people in the church, and we were protecting her privacy, didn't tell people what was going on. And people were saying, oh, the pastor's daughter must be pregnant. That's why he's hiding her. And we were saying, no, 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 you just got to trust us. She, she needs some prayer right now. Got some health things going on. Well, when my daughter came back totally healed, just alive again, we were so thankful. But one day we were at a conference, And she came to me, and she says, Daddy, I'm ready to tell my story. And I said, Are you sure? She said, Yes. We were at a pastor's conference that we were hosting in our church, and I let her get up that evening, and I let her tell part of her story. And as she told her story, I forgot we were live on the radio nationwide in Peru. And I forgot, but all of a sudden, as she told her story of how God brought healing to her body, the next day, we began to receive calls, hundreds and hundreds of calls, hundreds of calls from moms, help my daughter. Some girls saying, you've got to help me. The same thing, I'm going through the same thing. We actually asked the question, why are there so many women in third world countries like Peru that are dealing with this? The food is hard to come by to begin with, and yet they're dealing with this anorexia. We found out it was because Sexual abuse. According to the United Nations, 64% of Peruvian girls are sexually abused. And if a girl can't control her body, she'll control one thing she can. She'll quit eating. And because of sexual abuse, we later found out another hard truth, that my daughter was sexually abused in the church as a young girl. Hurts. Hurts. But when my daughter told the story and got up there and told the story, it began a process. Today we have a house called the Grace House where we receive women free of charge. The only one of its kind in all of South America, and we receive women from all over South America absolutely free of charge. They need to know they're not there because their parents have money. They're there because Jesus loves them. And we have seen hundreds of girls that have been healed through the testimony of the Grace House. And now my daughter, she can be in a crowd of thousands of young girls. Nobody else saw it, but my daughter disappears in a crowd. Why? Because she saw that one girl was sleeping up to here with with the sunken eyes, that gothic look on her face. She saw, nobody else noticed, but she saw, she said, that girl was me. And all of a sudden, my daughter, she'll disappear in the crowd pretty soon. Her and that young girl will be hugging. They'll be crying. They'll be praying as she tells that young girl, there is hope for the future. You see, we need some people around that have maybe lost a finger or two. We need some people around that have been wounded. Maybe the enemy has attacked a marriage. And what the enemy used to try to destroy you, it either can destroy or it can make you better. Because now you've seen how the enemy fights. Now you've seen when there's an addiction that you've overcome, all of a sudden you the eye of the tiger, wait, what was on me? I see it on you. What was in my marriage? I see in your marriage. What we were fighting, I've seen you. And thank God there are some people around that have the eye of the tiger that have overcome. You see, if you've still got all your fingers on your right hand, hang around a while, you'll lose one. We're not perfect. We're just people that have been hurt and been healed. And through the healing, we're able to help others. Amen. Amen. Let me take a moment to pray. Father, we thank you. And I know as I share this story, there are some that I can say, yeah, I was hurt. I was wounded i went through a hard divorce i went through a hard sickness and i didn't understand why but now that i've been healed god has been my strength and i have learned to fight again father i pray that you would use those people to let their story be a story that brings healing to somebody else and if there are others that are wounded at this moment wondering how can i get through this moment Father, that they would find that truth, that not only will they get through it, they'll get through it stronger than ever. We thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.
0: Would you love Pastor Robert, know how much we appreciate him. Wow. I tell you, it's not every day you get to have a general of the faith, somebody that has lived the life of the book of Acts. and done the things that he's done. It's just incredible. And I know the message spoke to me. I think about our church. You know, one of the things that encourages me is, is if we just stay faithful. You know, I, you know, when you really think about it, our church has done a lot. We've done a lot. And if we never do anything more than what we've already done, God has used this church in great ways. But I feel like we we have so much potential. We have so much more that we could do. We've done a lot, but what could we do if we stay faithful and we just keep loving people and serving people and making a difference in the lives of people? And I just thank you, Pastor Robert, for just inspiring us to, to let us know what God can do when you believe Him and you trust Him. We're going to close with a song of worship. If... You need prayer today for anything going on in your life. Something in the message just struck a nerve and you just want someone to pray with you. Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian and you want to give your life to Jesus. You want to follow him. For whatever reason, you felt this this burning in your heart all service long that you need to give your life to God today. You need to make a decision. I want to encourage you to come forward and talk to somebody on our prayer team. They're going to be available for you during the song and at the end of the song. Just pray with somebody today. Would you stand with me? Again, we'll close with a song of worship. The prayer team will be available. Um, And and let me say one more thing. If if you want to help what they're doing in Peru, I know know, they tell you in Bible college when you're in the middle of a a building project, don't do offerings for anyone else because it's just not smart. But you know what? I think God's blessed us enough or we can build this building and make a difference and invest in them. You know, one of the things that you may not know about Pastor Robert, being an American, he's not allowed legally to receive a salary from the church there in Peru. So he, he is a missionary. He has to raise all of his own mission support to be able to do what he does. And then the work of their church. And so I I just wanted to say, if if God touched your heart today and you want to invest in what they're doing, I would encourage you to do that. There's a link on our, our giving app online, or you can just put something in the box with his name on it, or just write Peru on it. If God's touched your heart and you want to invest in what they're doing, I would encourage you to do that. Let's worship together.